Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can find the show online at buildingthefutureshow.com or follow me on Twitter at Building Show. You can also find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Swati Chattervedi on the show. She's co-founder and CEO of Propelex. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing is really interesting and inspiring. So maybe before we actually get into what Propelex actually does, maybe we'll start a bit about kind of where you grew up and a bit of your background. Sure. Um, I grew up, so let's start chronologically. Um, I grew up in India and I did my undergrad there and I studied architecture, uh, which is kind of removed from what I'm doing now, but it was a very interesting and exciting experience all the same uh, because it gives you some perspective on, uh, on, on, on a lot of the engineering stuff that goes on. Sure. So that was what I did my undergrad in, and then I came to the U.S., um, and uh, I went to Berkeley where I did a master's in engineering. Uh, I focused on civil engineering there, and then I went off to MIT because I had some broad interest in public policy and the applications of technology in general. Um, so I went to MIT and I joined the technology and policy program there, which is focused, it's an interdisciplinary program, and it's focused on um, understanding how to craft policy for science and technology issues. Okay. So that's what I did there, <laughs> yeah. And then I became a bit of a generalist as I went into management consulting. Okay, so um, what made you go into management consulting then? Um, that's a, a you know, it, it's a much, it's a very generalist um, um, career option, but it does use a lot of the training that you get as a graduate student to begin with. Um, and certainly the kind of master's program that I was at, which is multidisciplinary, it has something to do with engineering, it has something to do with public policy and with management, um, that really makes you a good fit for our engineering and for, for a consulting career. Um, and frankly, I personally like uh, a diversity of, I like to learn about new things every day, and that's why I love what I'm doing now, which we can talk about later. Sure. But that's why I went into consulting. Okay, so what made you go to MIT then? And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's... Um, so there were two things. I mean, one, of course, there were some personal um, compulsions which uh, made it imperative for me to be on the East Coast. Right. But aside from that, you know, I mean, I, of course, I could have picked any program to go to, but I picked this specific program. So, so you know, there's only three uh, colleges that in the U.S. that offer a similar program. So MIT is one of them. Carnegie Mellon is another. And Stanford is the third. Um so I, I actually only applied to MIT here okay. um, because I did want to be on the East Coast. And uh, so I ended up there. Okay. So then what made you go back to San Francisco? Ah, so that's been a long journey, right? <laughs> the funny <laughs> thing is, so after I finished my management consulting career, and I was like, okay, I need to be in finance. So it, it so happened that while a management consultant, I focused a lot on um, M&A uh, deals, whether it's diligence or it's valuation, working with PE firms and whatnot. Um, so I went back to Sloan, which is MIT again, MIT Sloan, to get my MBA. Okay. This was 2009, 
April 2011. Um, and my focus there was corporate finance, and I didn't want to be in finance uh, 100%. Um, I didn't want to be an investment banker. I wanted to be in investing. Um, so I got an opportunity to work with a private equity fund here in San Francisco after my master's program. I started off with Siemens Venture Capital as an intern, and then I, I got the opportunity to work here. Um, so I just moved to San Francisco. And frankly, I love San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> area. Since moved, it is, it is. And the weather is so cool. And um, ever since I had moved to Boston, I had always known I would come back one day. And it took me 10 years. Oh, wow. But anyway, I'm here now. That's good. <laughs> that's good. No, that's awesome. So then maybe let's get into Propelex a little bit and kind of what is it and how it got started. Yeah, absolutely. So, so LX is an online investment platform uh, for what we call deep technology companies. And these are companies that are founded on a scientific discovery or meaningful engineering innovation. So why did we start this, right? And what, what does it even mean? So the thing is that financing, early stage financing especially, is being very much disrupted by this concept of crowdfunding, right? So crowdfunding right. started off with Kickstarter, but that is just kind of a philanthropic, it's a donation-based system. Um, and then it moves into investing. Right? And, and the question was, could we at some point foresee a future where a number of people are getting together to invest in a single company? Uh, and frankly, that future has always existed in the form of angel investing, because angel investing is a form of offline crowdfunding, right? where you gather money from multiple angels to finance your new venture. The question was, how can we bring that online, and specifically, what are the gaps? Sure. So the Jobs Act had just passed in 2012 when I started conceptualizing this. Um, and, you know, there were a number of platforms that were jumping into the fray. Uh, certainly, AngelList is the leader, sure. uh, where they've created a vibrant marketplace where startups and investors meet. Um, and there are, are a lot of transactions happening there. So they certainly are the market leader, but there are a few um, gaps that remain. The biggest gap was that science and technology-based companies, these technology startups, companies that are going to take us into, into the future, that are going to address space travel, that are going to solve the problems of cancer, that are going to help us grow more food, more nutritious food. All of these companies don't get the attention that they deserve on AngelList. Right? Totally agree. Um, and it ends up being that um, all of these other platforms are really just a, uh, another uh, capital-raising platform for uh, you know mobile apps, which, by the way, I'm a big fan of, but they make our lives incrementally easier, right? It's mm -hmm. not like they're going to change the world just because I can park better today. Right? Yep. So the question is, who is going to finance these companies that are really moving mankind forward? Um, and it has always been angels that have stepped in uh, early on. And here is an opportunity to expand that investor base. So the problem was, okay, why aren't these companies getting more traction on these platforms? Turns out there are two reasons. Okay. The first reason is um, that these kinds of companies typically have a specific risk profile, and that risk profile being that their time to revenue is longer than the average other startup. 
Mind you, the total risk over the lifetime of the company is more or less similar uh, because, you know, successful companies, even in the consumer space, raise a ton of money for marketing. It just depends on what they spend it on, whereas technology companies spend a lot of money on on, uh, their technology. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Right. So they have a specific risk profile, right? And the people who take that risk or who tolerate that risk, those kinds of investors are few and far between. And so there needs there is a need for a single home for deep technology investors and deep technology startups. So right. that is the first problem we are solving by creating a platform that focuses exclusively on deep technology companies. No, right? I, so that's I, one. I think that's awesome. I, I think what you guys are doing is, is pretty incredible. Thank you. We think so too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm curious then... Uh, like if I had a company that would fit, you know, your co- or Propelex, what? How would I go about, you know, applying for funding from you guys? Yeah. Um, so we are a curated platform, so it's not like Angelus where anyone can create a profile. Okay. Um, so every company that applies goes through a screening process. So anyone can apply online. There is a button on our website which says "Get Listed." So there is that, that takes you to a link and you can submit your company for consideration and we welcome you to. Yeah, and it's um, propelx.com, right? Yes, it's yeah. propelx.com. Yeah, and yeah, I'll post that online too. Great, yes, that would be great. Um, so then we do have an internal review. We have a, a set of experts that help us, expert advisors. We run certain companies by them, and um, ultimately we reach at a decision whether or not we should get the company on board. And I should talk a little bit about our decision criteria. Sure. The decision criteria, you know, we are not in the business of uh, picking winners. We are not VCs, so I should make that clear. Okay. Um, we, We do want to eliminate companies that do not, that kind of look odd where the founders have, really suspicious backgrounds or stuff like that. But most importantly, the company needs to conform to our definition of what we call deep technology, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, every day people try to persuade me that their company is deep technology, and I say, how? right? And because we have a very clear definition um, of deep technology. It, your company should either be based on a scientific discovery, which is the case with most life sciences companies, or it should be based on meaningful engineering innovation. Right. And that is the case with many of the artificial intelligence or energy and other companies. But if it is not based on either of those, you're just taking existing um, either software from different uh, different places and hacking them together, then that is not a good fit for us. So that first and foremost, your company should conform to our definition of deep technology. Sure. Um, and secondly, we do look for some... Um, evidence of research, whether it's IP, whether it's patents or other things, we, that, is, that is valuable. And if you're coming from reputable institutions, um, um, you know, whether it's univ- research universities, research labs, or, uh, you know, accelerators, incubators that focus on R&D in- intensive companies, those things are important as well. 
So a little bit about your background. Um, and finally, we do have a phone screen. If those two things match, we do have a phone screen. We'll ask all kinds of questions about whether this makes sense or not. I mean, at minimum, there needs to be a value proposition for someone, right? Sure. Uh, to that extent, we do screen the business proposition. But <clears throat> we don't do a thorough analysis on here's what the expected returns should be for investors as a VC would do. Because that we leave for the investors to judge for themselves. And we provide very, very, very detailed tools for investors to conduct diligence. And that's where our major differentiation is from other marketplaces, uh, is in our diligence process, which is highly moderated, and I can talk more about that in a bit. No, we'll just complete what um, the question that you had asked, right? How do you apply? So you can apply online. You will go through a curation process. Um, If you meet our criteria, we will have a phone screen um, and after that, we'll invite you to join Copelex platform. Sure. So is it just for companies in the United States or is it North America or worldwide? At this point, it is North America only. Okay. Are you we planning on expanding? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, um, world domination is always a good thing, right? <laughs> so <laughs> of course. we will be looking to expand. But let's remember, we are a startup ourselves, sure. um, so we want to stay focused and um, execute perfectly in one geography, and then we can roll it out in other geographies. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, is there any companies that you guys have invested in that you know you want to maybe mention quickly and talk about, or is it kind of still under wraps a little bit? No, sure, absolutely. The deals that have closed, we can absolutely talk about, and companies that are raising via general solicitation, we can absolutely talk about. Um, so some companies that we have helped fund, um, I'm going to mention maybe two, and then I can talk about one that is currently ongoing. Sure. So uh, one of the companies that we've helped is called Aromix, A-R-O-M-Y-X. Um, and what they're doing is they are digitizing the sense of smell and taste. Oh, wow. And that's honestly the, yeah. So that is the last frontier of senses uh, that remains to be digitized, and um, they are replicating nasal receptors outside of the nose, uh, so that when a chemical walks past, you know, it, some of them get triggered, and you'll you'll have a digital signature of the smell. So that's oh. pretty cool. It's uh, and they they are incubated at, at Stardex, that's the Stanford accelerator. Um, we help them raise what shows. And now they've gone on to raise over two million dollars. They have some very reputable investors who've invested in their company. And uh, they're going on to bigger and better things, which you're very excited about. Um, oh, that's really cool, that's actually. One company. Yeah, it is, it is very cool. Um, it, if they're successful, and you know, let's be honest, all of these companies face very high technology risk. Sure. But if they're successful, they're going to revolutionize the way we develop food and fragrance products. Yeah, for it's sure. A big difference. Yeah. Okay. And what was the second one you wanted to cover? Um, there's another. There's a couple more companies I can talk about. Sure. So there's a company called C2 Sense. Um, this is a technology out of MIT, and essentially, at its heart, it is a gas sensor. Uh, and the first application is um, they are sensing. So when uh, produce ripens, it emits gases. Right, so when a banana ripens, for example, it emits a and so on. 
So these are sensing those gases with very high degree of accuracy, let's just say that. Um, and the price is about 1,000x less than what exists today. Oh, wow. Um, so, so that is a very major breakthrough. Um, and what that means is that you can have a sensor in every fruit basket in the retail store. Right, oh. and you can collect data remotely as to which baskets have riper fruit than others, and which should be put into the supply chain, and so on. Oh, uh, so that's very powerful. That's really cool. Yeah. So, how does it? It's just like a sensor that basically gets put on something, and then it syncs to the internet, kind of thing. So, uh, I mean, there is a reader that goes with the sensor. But, oh, okay. Um, and and these sensors, um, how should I put it? Um, so sensors are designed, different sensors can be designed differently, but most are, this is an electrical uh, thing, so you can actually draw, a, uh, you can, this is a sensor which is about one and a half inch by one and a half inch piece of paper with an electrical circuit drawn on it. Um, and they use carbon nanotube technology, uh, which has specific, let's just put it, selectivity, I don't want to get into too much technicalities sure. here. But the thing is that when ethylene is in the atmosphere, just close to it, that circuit gets closed and current starts flowing. And that current is then detected, detectable right. by a reader. So okay. that's how the sensor works. That's pretty, that's really cool. Yeah, that's fascinating, actually. It is. It's very cool. It's a very powerful technology, and it is quite a breakthrough, and that's why they have been funded now by Breakout Labs, which is part of the Peter Thiel Foundation as well. Okay, so typically how many angels invest in each one of your kind of um, companies? Is, is it, or is it different depending on kind of how much money they need? It is different depending on how much money they need. But I can tell you that on average, you know, we are raising, we have uh, helped 12 companies raise about 2.3 plus million. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's about $200,000 per company that we've helped so far. Um and as to the number of investors, the average is at this point four. Okay. Uh, but, you know, in some cases there are more, in some cases there are less. But uh, essentially we have about 50 people who have participated. Sure. Now, that does mean that they're writing big checks, right? Right. Um, so our, yes, our investors write some significant size checks at this point. Sure. No, that's awesome. So I'm curious then, if somebody's interested in kind of becoming an angel investor, how do you even go about becoming an angel investor? You should read a blog on this. How do you become an angel investor? That was just recently posted on our web, on our blog. All right. Um, so we actually laid out the how-do for uh, novice angel investors. But absolutely, I mean, I can touch upon a few things sure. right now. Um, so the number one thing is you need to be an accredited investor to participate on Propellex and frankly any other website at this point. So what does that mean? Crowdfunding group. Yeah, that means that individually you should either have an income, annual income of two hundred thousand dollars in the past two years and expectation of the same this year, okay. or along with your spouse you should have an income of three hundred thousand. Or you should have a net worth of a million dollars, not including your primary residence. Okay, right? so, interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't, never knew what those numbers were. 
Uh, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Actually, the bar, the the truth is that bar is not very high, is it? I mean, many people in the Bay Area make more than $200,000. Sure. And certainly with their, with their spouse, they make $300,000, right? Sure. Uh, so there's about eight and a half, according to the SEC, there's, there's eight and a half million, 8.6 million households, to be precise, that would qualify as accredited investors, according to their estimates. Okay, so you just fi- basically fill out some paperwork to become an investor. You don't fill out, no, no. Oh, okay. We take your. I mean, the SEC has the standard of what you call reasonable belief. That means that if I'm not, and that only. So now we're getting into some regulations here. Mm-hmm. So I want to be very clear that for people who are hearing this and know what this means. Uh, we only do 506B offerings for the most part. We've done one or two 506C. Uh, that means that we don't generally solicit. We don't go and make a hoarding out there that, look, uh, C2Sense is raising money. No. I can talk about C2Sense because they finished their fundraise. Right. But uh, we do not advertise. So you, uh, all of our, most of our deals, all of our deals are behind the password. And when you join Propelex, you have to check a box that says, yes, I verify that I'm an accredited investor because I make 200k a year and so on. And then you're liable for fraud and so on if you don't lie. Um, in addition, so you are allowed to just say, yeah, I'm an accredited investor. And the, the issuer or the startup has to look at you and based on certain things that they're able to find out about you, they have to make a judgment and say, oh, do, you, do I think this guy makes 200k in income or not, right? And typically if you are like a managing director of a fund or if you're a senior director at Pfizer, or if you're something like that, then you do make, there is salary data out there which you, you can fall back on, and then you develop reasonable belief, okay, this guy is probably an accredited investor. Okay, so you basically um, have to do so a little that, bit of homework on who you're, you know, who you're going to potentially get as your angel investor. It's kind of up to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Fair. Every startup has to, yes. Every startup should... Uh, uh, at least have some belief that the people who are investing are uh, are accredited investors. Right. Okay. And again, you know, I am talking at a high level. There are details here. Where, for example, every startup can have 35 unaccredited members. So, but we don't need to go into the details at a high level. You know, startups should should try to ensure that the investors who invest in them are in fact accredited. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm assuming that a lot of angel investors would, you know, obviously want to talk about who they've invested in in the past or their success stories and whatnot if they're just getting started. Um, yeah, I mean, if you are just getting started, then you don't have very many success stories, right? Um, but that should not deter you from getting started. Uh, and frankly, you should start at a very small amount of investment. And that is where, uh, honestly, sites like Propelex uh, and others, frankly, come into the picture, is that we have really lowered the bar for people to become angel investors. Right. Um, to date, the standard has been that each time you make an investment in a company, you should be investing somewhere around $25,000 to you write a check of $25,000. Okay. Now, um, we have made that different, right? I mean, we have brought that investment minimum on our site down to $3,000. Oh, really? Wow. Um, so you can, 
that is the benefit of investing through a platform is that you can invest a smaller amount. Right, right. Uh, and you pay us a small amount of administration fee for just administration administering your investment. Um, but fundamentally, you can make your choice. You can say, I want to invest in so and so company, and I'm going to invest three thousand dollars. Okay, no, that that's awesome. Um, so, what are the gaps that you see in kind of angel investing currently? The biggest gap is lack of research, lack of information, and that is the hugest. It's a vast gaping hole out there, and that is where, by the way, Propelex is uh, really filling that gap. Um, you know, I talked about how we are different, for example, from Angelus, and I said, okay, we focus only on on uh, deep technology companies. Then the second point I mentioned was we are highly curated. But the third point is frankly the most powerful because we are the only site um, amongst all crowdfunding and investment platforms that are enabling this level of diligence. Let me tell you how our diligence process works. Sure. Every company that, that we, every company that on our site that has uh, some level of interest, that we have some followers, we launch their investor calls through a video call, which is great. I think that's easy enough to do. But we, what we have developed is that is just the start. Our process is a highly moderated process, which is kicked off by the investor call, and then we open a diligence room for a specific startup, a diligence space. Um, investors can go into that space and they can ask questions. They can say, I have a question for the management, or I have a question for their customers, or I have a question for a third-party expert, an expert. Okay. So we select all of those questions. We send the management questions to management. We send the um, you know customer questions. If the company excuses us to the customers, we send them to customers. So we are the only platform in fact connecting uh, investors with customers directly uh, through a very convenient online web platform. But that's not where we end. The most important thing is getting third-party experts to weigh in on specific questions that investors have. Okay. Right? Uh, and how does that happen? So we have our own expert network, and anyone else can refer an expert also on our platform. Uh, and we invite those experts to participate and, and to uh, give their responses to investor questions. Um, so now investors have a very complete picture. They have management. What does the management think? What does the customer say? What's the third-party expert saying? And each company that we put through this diligence process, we get two or three different experts to answer the same questions. So now you have a really uh, complete and filled out picture because you get a different perspective from different experts. So I haven't seen, honestly, this level of detail in even any publicly traded analyst report because analysts just sit there and give their opinions, right? Sure. Let, let the investors decide. No, that's awesome. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. So is there anything that you could recommend to people applying for angel investing that like, you know, you say like angels always look for these things? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, um, I think angels look for a competent team first and foremost. So everything that uh, that the CEO says you know, it should be carefully weighed before uttering. Uh, because, and you should have answers. You should have, you should know your market. You should know your business. You should know what the holes are. 
and you should have answers for why those holes currently exist and how you're going to fill those holes. That's what a competent team looks like. Sure. So that's number one. Angels look for a competent team and a competent management. Um, and then they look at, of course, the other things like the market. What is the market potential for what you're doing? What is the competitive landscape? How is your concept? In our case, you know, intellectual property is quite important. Uh, so how is your concept protected? Do you have patents around this? Uh, how broad are your patents? When do they expire? Stuff like that. And then, you know, frankly, what is the expected return from this? Who is going to acquire you or what is your exit going to be lo looking like? Uh, those are important questions. I think the management needs to do their diligence on themselves and be prepared to answers for these. Sure. So do usually angel investors kind of want to interview all of the team or at least a few members from the team as well? Well, like, like I said, you know, we have... Um, it's ideal. So we've had um, online interviews. So we have our investor calls, which are all done via video conference. Right. right? And we, uh, the feedback has been that video conferences where uh, the, the greater team is in the video conference as well and is contributing to the Q&A at least. Right. That is very well received. That, that is a plus point in favor of the company. So that's always there. But I haven't heard from angels that I absolutely want to see every single team member and then, then some, you know, I haven't heard that feedback. Right. They probably just want to see, you know, maybe like the high level kind of people, maybe not some of the lower level employees. Like it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's correct. They want to see the management team. Let's remember, you know, these are startups. So frankly, the management team is all that they have. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. There, and there might be like one or two employees, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. If that. Yeah, sure. No, that's awesome. So I heard recently that there might be some SEC um, regulation changes. Do you want to talk about that a little bit or? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So what is upcoming is this idea of crowdfunding, which is finally being adopted. So when the Jobs Act, which I will just spell it out for you, jumpstart our business startups, right? That's the Jobs Act. Right. Um, that was passed in 2012, and that really focused on how can we help companies raise money better, right? Because banks weren't given loans and so on at that time. So... Um, uh, one of the key considerations was, can we enable unaccredited investors, which is the general public, to invest in startups? And that was called, so the, the, this act has had several titles or titles of sections. So Title Three or Section 3 was uh, about crowdfunding. And so there were specific regulations around crowdfunding, uh, which the... Uh, the, which were adopted at that time in this act. And then the SEC was given the mandate that, please, here are the broad regulations, and please lay out the specific and detailed rules for how companies can engage in raising money through crowdfunding. And again, crowdfunding refers to uh, fundraising from unaccredited investors, so people who are not earning 200K in annual income and so on. I mean, who don't meet the criteria that I had specified earlier. Sure. So this is the general population, the masses, right? Um, those rules have been in development by the SEC. The SEC had put out the draft for co public comment a while back. Uh, and the expectation is that these rules will be released and adopted in October. 
that's the widespread expectation. I hope that they live up to that because it will really open up a massive uh, market for startups to raise funding from, very similar to what happens in publicly traded companies, right? They can raise money from anyone, no matter how much uh, you make or don't make, even students can invest, right? Yeah, no, I think so, that's kind of the future of where things are going. Like, it seems to make sense. Like, if I want to put a few thousand dollars into something or my friend's idea, like, I should be able able to do that. Exactly. Yeah. So so that that is the idea, and that's being adopted. Hopefully, it will be adopted in, in October, and uh, let's keep our fingers crossed because that will really open a lot of doors and a lot of new avenues for startups to raise finance. Sure. Would that really affect you guys at Propelex um, quite a bit? Like, do you think you'll get a rush of people trying to invest, or is it kind of just nice thing for the industry? Uh, no, it is not just a nice thing for the industry. I mean, of course, it's a great thing for the industry, but it does affect us as well. I mean, I, I fully expect that traffic is going to increase, but we, you know, we need to review the rules carefully before we change our internal processes and make sure that they make business sense before we open up our doors to unaccredited investors. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a period where all platforms like ours will read the rules and evaluate them very carefully um, and figure out how to function under the new regulatory regime. So I'm not suggesting that if October 12th is the day that the rules are adopted, which, by the way, is a made-up date, um, that we will also, on that made-up date, open our doors to everyone. No. I think there will be a period of contemplation, um, and uh, we'll wait and see how what the rules are before we, in fact, open our doors to all and sundry. Right. Because we need to be careful, right? We need to be, if anything, we need to err on the side of caution Sure. Uh, when it comes to fundraising, from, especially from unaccredited investors. Sure. And then how does the FCC play into all this, if they do it all? Yeah, well, the SEC is the agency that uh, regulates the entire financial in- industry, right? Right. Um, so, absolutely, and, and the SEC is the agency, is the government agency, which is, in fact, drafting these rules. Right. And they will be in charge of enforcing these rules. Exactly, so if yeah. we don't fall in line with our regulators, they will come and smack us on the wrist, I'm sure. <laughs> it is a good thing uh, because, you know, so in, in other words, they are our regulator. Right, right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I just think some people don't know what the difference is and who kind of controls that. So it's good to know that there. I guess you guys kind of have somebody to that checks what whatever anybody's doing financially. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yes. Of, of course. I mean, not anybody's. It's the Securities Exchange Commission, right? So it's sure. really focusing on um, fundraising of all kinds. Um, and keeping an eye on companies and so on. So absolutely, it's the, it affects or it regulates financial transactions. Sure. Okay. No, that makes sense. Do you have any advice for anybody that's either, you know, an entrepreneur looking for angel investment or somebody that wants to be an angel investor? Um, yeah, sure. For angel investors, I would say do your diligence. That's actually very important. These are extremely high-risk investments with a high rate of failure. You could lose all your capital in most cases. Right. Right. Um, so this should be approached with a lot of caution 
and a lot of diligence and use all the tools that you can get, all the research you can do before you make an investment. That's my advice to angel investors. That's number one advice. And the number two advice is diversify because no matter how many, how much diligence you do, uh, there are events, circumstances that are beyond your control, beyond the company's control because of which the companies may fail, right? Right. So, uh, and the failure rate is pretty high in startups. So investors must absolutely diversify uh, and have a broad portfolio strategy, have at least 10 to 20 investments. Oh, really? Wow. A portfolio of that size. Yes, I mean, in the public markets, it, 18 to 20 is when you start getting really diversified, right? Sure. Uh, that's how many stocks you should hold. So I don't see that the public market, private market should have a different strategy. You must hold a portfolio of stocks before. Uh, and that is why it is important to start small, you know. Um, so anyway, that's my second advice to angel investors is be diversified. Do your diligence and be diversified. And for startups, I would say, you know, no, <laughs> think through the think through your business and have a business, frankly, before you go out to ask for money. Uh, because preparation is the biggest friend of, of a startup. The better prepared you are, the better received you will be. Uh, and the more confidence you will inspire. Sure. So when you say prepared, what do you mean by being prepared? Like presentation? Like what should, you know, somebody that has a startup, when they go to an angel investor, what what should they be showing them or talking about? They should be showing them how the investor can make money by investing in this company. And the way to make money is to firstly have a profitable business. So show me, if I am the angel investor, show me how you intend to have a profitable business. When will the revenue start happening? When will the cost start happening? What what are the costs that you're accruing till then, right? Right. Uh, what is the capital need? When will the exit happen? Those are important things that I need to know. It's not enough to tell me, look, I have an app, isn't it cool? Right. Well, great for you. It's, it's a cool app, right? Sure. <laughs> but tell me how I'm going to make money off of this. Um, so, so those, you know, the cool app needs to translate into cool money at some point, and that is what, you know, thinking through things, doing your research, um, and really lining up your ducks. And and in our case, right, where we focus on deep technology companies, what does it mean to line up your ducks? It's not enough to have uh, completed an R&D project in your PhD thesis, uh, which shows you certain um, astounding results. So great. How do you intend to translate them into a business? To, tra to translate it into a business, let's say you discovered a new way to to cure cancer. Right. right. Translate that into a business, you then have to start, you have to go to the, the clinical trials. And much before that, you have to start preparing uh, for your applications to the FDA. So get in order to prepare even for those applications, you have to do animal studies, you have to um, have advisors, you have to have a scientific advisory board, you have to have you have to have a manufacturing strategy. So all of those things need to no need to be lined up, right? I should I should feel comfortable knowing that you know what you're doing with my money. Yeah, no, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Right. <laughs> so that's what I mean by being prepared. Okay, no, that's that's great advice. Sadly, we're running out of time, so I'm, maybe we just close the show with kind of 
mentioning where people can find Propelex online and yourself through, you know, LinkedIn and social media. And I'll, I will post these links in the show notes as well. So if people are listening, they can, you know, check them out later. But do you want to just mention a few places where people can find you online? Yeah, sure. You can find us on the usual places, LinkedIn, Twitter. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. You can find us on LinkedIn. Uh, and certainly we have a Facebook page as well. Uh, so any of those you can find us there. Okay, and just so search for Propelx. Uh, Twitter handle is uh, yeah, our Twitter handle is at Propel underscore X, and you can search for Propelx on LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, this has been awesome, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And uh, you know, thanks very much for doing this. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Looking forward to uh, doing more of these. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, uh, we'll keep in touch, and we'll chat soon. Bye. All right, bye. Thanks for listening. You can visit past shows at buildingthefutureshow.com. If you're going to the Startup Expo on February 16th and 17th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and want to record an episode, please contact me. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Check them out at electricmantra.com. Until next time, keep building the future.